everybody, and welcome to In and Together. My name is Jeremy Augusta, joined by two lovely hosts. I'm Emily Davis. I'm Brent Gunn. Okay, so I want to start off by talking about the Ukraine, um, and I'll give some background eventually. Um, so the Ukraine just declared martial law for 30 days after Russia attacked three of their ships and uh, damaged three of their ships and wounded six crew of those ships. So if you guys don't know, um, the Ukrainian-Russia conflict has been like sort of this growing thing that's starting to snowball more and more. Um, so in ba- some background, in 2013, uh, pro-Russian Ukrainian president Viktor Yanukovych who um, had Paul Manafort as one of his workers, uh, decided to pull out of an agreement with the UN, the Ukraine. um, The Ukraine, being an ex-member of the Soviet bloc, was being torn apart between going to the EU and uh, aligning with Russia. And this was kind of a falling out after that. Protests eventually happened and Yanukovych stepped down. In response, a year later, Russia annexed what was the Crimea Peninsula in 2014, and this is what caused all the sanctions that the United States put on Russia and that we're still talking about. So more recently, uh, these ships were shot on because they were crossing through a narrow passageway by the Crimea Peninsula. Uh, Russia said they did it because of they cited like something involving sanctions were, was their reasoning. So this is just a, a thing that Russia is doing to ramp up the scale of this conflict and Trump has done nothing to combat it. And this is also right after Trump denies his own CIA information saying that the Saudi crown prince killed uh, the journalist in Turkey. So that is where Trump is on international (laughs) relations. Um, Brent, did you want to say something regarding those two events? Um, I don't have enough experience talking about the Ukraine, unfortunately. The thing about foreign (laughs) policy is that uh, you can know a lot about one country, but know nothing about the country directly next to it. Yeah. So while I know, you know, somewhat about Russian history and, uh, you know, specifically more like Soviet history. Um, <laughs> That's the fun Russian history. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, fun for some people. but uh, <laughs> Not um, fun for the people learning about it, not for those who are part of it. I, I do think that, you know, to kind of try it, try to tie it back to Trump, um, this does just kind of prove that a lot of the projection thrown at, you know, Obama's way by Trump and his ilk that Obama was this, like, weak, kind of, like, spineless Yeah, it doesn't make uh, any pre- sense. President. I think that we're seeing how much of that is, like, a projection now. I mean, we're going to talk about Saudi Arabia a little bit more later on. But, we can just I talk mean, about it now. Yeah, I mean, we it. can just talk about it now. Um, I mean, it's not surprising whatsoever. Um, but I think it's disturbing the amount of like transparency that there is in the president of the United States just kind of telling the American public like look we're going to make an exception here because yeah. we because like the deal is too good but it's not really an exception if he always does it yeah i was going to say i feel like everything that he says is like appalling and a new thing for him to say in a new level of transparency oh, like oh i i i meant i meant more like a um like tra- transparent in, in like his position of power i guess okay. uh like for for an American president to just come right out and say the the the, the arms deal, uh, you know Saudi's oil supply, it kind of negates anything mm-hmm. that they may do because they're our ally. To mm-hmm. hear a president say that just kind of bluntly, um, I mean, usually you'd hear you'd expect a politician to be much more like clouded in their words, right? But he's yeah. not um, a politician. Less blatant. I mean, yeah, for sure. But I mean, he kind of is by default at this point, right? Um, and it's 
it's really kind of troubling because, I mean, his whole platform is this kind of America first thing. And he's also very staunchly opposed to Iran. He's hated Iran ever since. I mean, I'm For sure it's, as long as he's known about the country's no existence. Reason? It really it. I mean, it stems because he's trying to assume the role of like, what is the right wing opinion to have about Iran? And yeah. that is that it's like Don't this like awful, it. horrible place. Um, for a little bit of context, uh, a little bit of like historical context, I'm by no means a you know scholar, <laughs> um, but going back with uh, this kind of like conflict between uh, uh, Iran and Saudi Arabia and why the U.S. kind of cares as much as it does, Mossadegh uh, was removed from power in a military coup backed by the uh, Brits and the uh, uh, Americans. And for even further pretense, he was a more secular leader of Iran. Correct? He was also democratically elected. Yeah, he was democratically by, by elected, Iran. somewhat secular leader that was ousted by Western power. And uh, um, in 1953, uh, there was a military coup backed by the U.S. and Brits. So you have him removed from power. The Shah Reza. Halavi, I'm probably mispronouncing Dude, these that. names. I, I'm was, shocked I got Yanukovych earlier. He was uh, replaced. He 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 replaced Mossadegh. The, the 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 Shah really wanted to instill more of like a Western influence uh, in the entire kind of Middle East. They want to have that kind of influence, especially in you know Saudi Arabia. And now that you see Iran, Iran's always. I mean, since its its revolution in 1979, um, it's kind of had a principle of turning away Western influence, mm-hmm. whereas Saudi Arabia has kind of welcomed it in principle because they have that economic tie with, yes, Saudi the, Arabia with the United States, economically tied to and the they've also been strongly aligned with the, Un- with the United States against communism, yeah. which Iran doesn't have a strong history of doing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the reason why Trump hates Iran, he hated the Iran nuclear deal. It's one, because it's Iran. It's two, because the deal was Obama. good for Iran. Uh, it was good for Iranian sovereignty. It was good for Iran's economic development. There was no reason to suggest that they were uh, going against the the rules mandated in the plan. But you need to paint Iran as this dangerous, like, uh, potential threat if you're going to be a person like Trump. And what's ironic about that is that we don't hear stories about the most powerful people in Iran cutting up journalists no, that, that go there. I'm sure, and Iran doesn't—they're not you know free of any. No, there are no gold you know, standards for sure. But we, we we need to address this, and this isn't like any other thing that Saudi may maybe have done in the past because this is a really transparent crime that 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 took place with Khashoggi. Yeah, and Trump being very blunt and like, look. The, the the money is too good. Yeah, it's citing it's, the it's money really, really, and the job creation. It goes back to this whole America first thing, where if America weakens its allies in any way, um, especially economically, and regardless of you know corruption, torture, human rights violations, whatever, if it's Saudi Arabia, it will be forgiven. If it's Russia, but it it'll probably be forgiven yeah, now. The issue yeah. is we're aligned with the UK, and Russian spies killed. UK citizens and Trump did nothing. And we're seeing we're a lot we're supposedly aligned with the Ukraine and Russia invaded the Crimea Peninsula and we had sanctions then and Trump tried to prevent those sanctions and I will give credit to congressional republicans which is a sentence I never thought I would be saying ever um that they're standing by their criticisms of Obama when they say you were spineless and didn't do anything like Rand Paul we talked about earlier was yeah, yeah. is is saying we can tie uh what was it the budget 
to um, to doing something about Saudi Arabia. I'm not sure if he made the the budget argument, but the the controversy is that Trump's saying that he's being tough on Saudi Arabia by imposing these sanctions, which like that is just a complete red herring. It yeah. doesn't really do anything. It doesn't really show even from like a symbolic standpoint that there's any kind of, you know, refusal from the U.S. But um, as for Rand Paul, I hate having to give him any credit. <laughs> he's he's 100 percent right. And he's talked about um, uh, a privilege resolution, which he's attempted before to shut down um, the U.S. sale of arms to the Saudis. And now more than ever, he believes that he has a majority vote for that for mm-hmm. that now. But um, you're seeing Trump kind of want to hide the issue because I feel like if they did have the votes, they would be able to prevent that from happening now that the Khashoggi case has such ma- has made such like international headlines. Mm-hmm. They'd almost have to at this point, like they're yeah. in like political checkmate they're tied by public opinion to do something about it. Uh, I saw an, a new headline. I say new. Uh Donald Trump disapproval hits all-time high, which I feel like I've seen just about every week since he was elected. Definitely. Um, <laughs> I'm wondering if we're reaching a critical mass of international affairs that some people are just starting to see as, oh, this is not good. Like, not doing anything against Saudi Arabia, uh, being suspiciously aligned with Russia. Go- going against like United States uh, uh, intel. Yeah. That has collected almost like insurmountable evidence saying that the Saudi government, they had an active role in killing this journalist and lying Mm -hmm. about it, covering it up. And we shouldn't just tie this specifically into Trump. No, we shouldn't. Because what he's doing, he's being a, a, a very tactical, consistent arm of American politics. This is what the average Republican or just the average, you know, centrist, probably just the average American politician would have done in this instance. Since it's Trump, since he's so transparent. Since he's already has so much political baggage on him, uh, I mean, this this has to be, I think, a moment for most sane Republicans to where if there's a 2020 de- uh, Democrat or even just more moderate Republican running, maybe this will get them a little bit off seeing, seeing Trump totally not stand to Saudi policy. Arabia. Mm-hmm. Because if there's anything that Trump supporters dislike more than Democrats, it's Middle East, the Middle it's, East, it's the Middle East <laughs> yeah. and it's Middle Eastern people. Mm-hmm. So if you can get a Democrat up there, like we may talk about Richard Ojeda later. Yeah, I want to talk about that because believe it or not, 2019 is coming up and that's when people are going to start running, start announcing they're, that they're running. Okay, yeah. before you move on to that, though, I'm I have a question on to 2020 right, well, yet. for both of you about this. Um, do you think that this just whole like obviously you're both baffled by it and I think a lot of people are. Obviously, there's a lot of Republicans who've spoken out about it, too. But do you think that this is going to be like a turning point for some Trump supporters? No. Or do you think it will be another like it's turn so, a blind eye? It's so this. hard to say. I hope that every time a scandal comes out like this, like 0.2% to 0.5% of Trump supporters jump off the bandwagon. And maybe that's what we're seeing with the disapproval rating slowly climbing. Mm-hmm. It's still around like 30 percent approval. It's been for Trump. like that, right? Yeah, like, like that's it's bottoming yeah. out. I think. Right. It's when Republicans in Congress start saying something's not right about this. That's when 2020 challengers start going, "Hey, maybe I should give it a shot," and and stuff like that. I'm sure you have a different opinion, Brent. Um, I wouldn't say I'm baffled by it because I mean, this is what yeah, I, American foreign policy okay. is. He does, but um, I think that this would be a very very smart thing. 
for politicians running against Trump to potentially use against him to show weakness. Because if there's one thing that Trump, you know, resents being kind of pigeonholed as it's weak. Yeah. And this, I mean, you know, Russia, we can already point that he's weak with with Russia, mm-hmm. how he didn't stand up with, you know, Putin. But, but that that kind of fell upon deaf ears. Maybe yeah. with the Saudis, we may be able to get a couple people to maybe um entertain this 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 narrative that Trump is weak because right now it's almost impossible to impenetrate like that base narrative surrounding him that mm-hmm. he is like this strong superman of a right. human yeah, being. The way Ben Garrison depicts him. Are you familiar with oh, Ben, ben Garrison's Garrison, comics? Yeah. I will yeah. pull some up. Yeah, he always uh, paints Trump as these like uh European Tarzans of just like really christened like, literally Superman christened beautiful masculinity. He's you know, which is very true to form for Trump, obviously. So Trump's <laughs> shaped like a potato. Um, Here's him dressed as a knight slaying a dragon that says political corruptness. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> Uh, as 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 he says that oh um, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia said he didn't do it, so nice maybe guy, he didn't. He's a pretty nice Arabia. guy. The thing that I love about Trump is that he reveals so clearly like what he wants, and he's so transparent, and I love it because the whole caravan thing. You know, when he, when he pushes it for a couple of weeks, then just bounces off of it when he knows yeah, he doesn't have the strength next. anymore. He's gonna bounce onto you know deflecting Saudi. I mean it. If if it were good for him politically to, you know, to denounce the Saudis, he'd do it. It was good for him politically to, you know, he. I don't he think so. Is, There's things he, he is, doesn't no. do that would be good for him politically. No, no, no. no. He no. I I think he is he is completely without principle. He he's completely like a a pure egoist candidate, and I mean it. It's not very surprising. I like most. American presidents would probably fall under that category, but now there's a lot of geopolitical baggage that I do not want in his hands. And unfortunately, this thing with Saudi Arabia proves that, I mean, this is not the kind of person that I think should be in charge of these conversations or should be having these conversations. Mm -hmm. I I disagree with you on Trump's political maneuvering and his him doing what the party wants because I feel like he doesn't care what the party wants and he doesn't always make decisions like if he stopped tweeting his approval would go up five to ten percent well well there's but he just doesn't want to there's a difference between doing what the party wants and what's good for him politically because I I said that whatever's good for him politically he's going to go with yeah him and that that can be counterintuitive what's good for the absolutely for the Republicans because I mean if anything he's kind of had to make them bend to He's him. also distancing himself from the Republicans. But again, that doesn't really matter because at this point it's good for him to. It's yeah. like in the same way that it would be good for Democrats to to separate themselves from the Pelosi's, it's good for Trump to, to separate himself. Yeah, well. yeah, I, I'd mm-hmm. love to. Um Trump gets a lot of political strength from from separating himself from the swamp, but fully, you know, relishing in the success that he gets from the swamp. Trump yeah. is the swamp. What's going on with Saudi Arabia, this is the swamp. This is what the swamp does. It yeah. allows things like this to happen for U.S. exceptionalism. Absolutely. So speaking of U.S. exceptionalism, uh, I would like to read a tweet from Tommy Lauren oh, <laughs> regarding migrants on the border. Quote, Bum-rushing the border is a choice, all caps, and has consequences. Watching the USA finally, all caps, defend our borders was the highlight of my Thanksgiving weekend. 
three hands up emojis. Oh, that's so disgusting. We, we Especially have, oh, on Thanksgiving no. weekend. Doesn't make uh, any sense. America has never defended its borders before 2018. No, yep. we got to start now. Yep. Better We've better late than never, had I open guess. borders and for all 2018 years the United States has existed. Even I mean I mean I I I wanted to hold like Obama um deportation stats like in front of her face and just yeah, say Obama's like deported more people than look, George W. Bush. Like yes, yes, and he sucked for it. Like yeah. I mean I I hate the the whole uh, uh immigration debate cuz to me it does not matter. If someone comes into the country legally, illegally, I don't care. Me it matters either. so little to me. And and you never hear the other people say because I mean, what do those people come here to do? They come here to get a job almost immediately. Mm-hmm. I mean, some ple- some will come to do crime, blah blah. But the crime rates for immigrants are actually lower than the crime rates for people born yeah. in America. Yes. And, that, and, that, and, that, and that's <laughs> because most of them come and they understand people. that they need to immediately get a job and they need to start getting paid under the table. And you never hear the Tommy Lawrence of the world demonizing those business owners for paying those employees under the table, evading taxes. Yeah, well, of course um, not. But, you know, you know, and and like, the response of course, is of course, I don't care Security. that they pay them under the yeah. table. But I mean, it goes completely counterintuitive to what she's like that. Why wouldn't you penalize those business owners for breaking the law and incentivizing these workers to come work for them? You never hear that. It's always, oh, the immigrant is to blame for getting hired. Who do you think has the power How to hire they? these people? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do I have the power to go get hired anywhere I want? No. There's also it's a huge hypocrisy. The excuse is they're drawing Im- illegal immigrants and immigrants in general, as the others, as some on the right would would say, are draining from or taking what like our tax dollars. But that's incorrect because people who are here illegally with fake social security numbers pay into the tax system yeah. but don't receive any benefits from mm-hmm. it. So people without actual social security numbers do not receive social security because they literally cannot since their social security numbers do not exist. Yeah. Well, when I said that if they come in legally or illegally, I don't care, you said that you agree. Yeah. Why? I just feel like that's not the conversation we need to be not. Okay, that's not what I meant. I just feel like immigration isn't really the thing that bothers me. I feel like there's so many other issues. Like, what are you so worried about? What are you trying to protect? Like, what is so great that you feel is going to be taken away by people trying to find exactly what you have? You know, it's not like they're going to take it away from you personally or even be near you. I I, I have a sister who's very much uh, she's very hawkish when it comes to um immigration when i try to talk mm-hmm. to her she's it, it's always why do we need you know why let these people come in to bring crime and my question is it's like do we deport criminals now mm-hmm. i mean our, our our solution to crime isn't right. deportation our right. solution to crime is incarceration mm-hmm. which in even that has serious serious problems obviously our but, incarceration system um, america's a terrible place to get arrested and to go to jail <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, and We're, and I mean, it's a pretty it, it, terrible place to spend life in prison. And like so much kind of like anti-immigrant propaganda. I mean, you see it in Europe too with mm-hmm. uh, a Brexit stuff. And Brexit's a very complicated issue. We should do for, an episode on Brexit. That would I, take an I, entire I have, episode because I, have, yeah. I tried so hard to I understand it and I haven't I been it. able to. We should definitely do that next right. week. I have a very interesting take on it. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, like when like when when we when we look at Germany. And uh, when you look at the right wing response from, you know, the migrant crises that are happening in in Germany, it 
puts the blame in the wrong place. It puts the blame in Germany and it ignores Italy. It ignores Greece. It ignores Austria. It ignores all these other countries that played context into this problem. And it also just ignores the idea that really this benefits you economically. At the end of the day, this is purely your antagonism towards immigrants is largely fueled through you being fed information that immigrants harm some type of like cultural identity it's and like threat. It's like America is a club and we need to make sure that we don't want people in the club that we don't like. And I'm different from you guys on immigration. I do think there should be some threshold in physically putting yourself in this country. Like there should be some barrier to entry. I disagree mm-hmm. with the level of barrier entry because currently there is one, but it's impossible to navigate. Uh, it It's impossible. Like, to get guess, into the guess, United States as a refugee is almost impossible, oh, yeah, and the yeah, wait yeah. lines are ridiculous. I, I, guess, I guess what what does that mean? Like barrier of entry. I guess like define that yeah, form. What is your name? Where were you born? Like if, I mean, there there are just, some people just, just who don't basic, know that. Like, like basic identification. A, yeah, some sort of identification. That, that, that's your some baseline. sort of history and like like uh, basically give me a job application so I know who you are and I can. And so we as a country can find a place for you where you can do something. That would be great. Like, if it was like assisted that. immigration is, I guess, what I'm advocating for. And although immigration is by far not my top issue, I would rather have the open borders just come in than what we have now, yeah. which is making families sit in detention centers and making children sit in detention centers for years and, and tear gassing them on the border. Yeah. That is the worst scenario. Um, I so, honestly, oh, sorry. sorry. Um, I just feel like you should be able to live where you want to live. Obviously, yeah, you'll probably have to fill out a form or something to get over there, but I feel like you should be able to live where you want to live. We're all just people. Yeah. I feel like the word immigration is just kind of dehumanizing and people don't see immigrants as people all the time. They see them as like an other. Well, yeah. I mean, a, a great example of that, that the right would love that I bring up is the Irish. And I mean, the whole idea was that when the Irish first came here, they could not be assimilated. Mm -hmm. There was serious prejudice against Irish immigrants trying to make it in America. And it's very confusing nowadays because we have things like St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. We celebrate Irish culture. People are proud to be Irish. Whereas what, back then you would hide your your Irish. Why is and that? that? And that and that and that and that proves I to me. I mean, okay. there, there there's a lot of right. uh, reasons why, but um, that proves to me that assimilation is possible. And like these the, these ideas that other cultures can't coexist with others, it's it's just fundamentally not true, and that it it is a complete misunderstanding of what culture is. It's it's a constantly changing thing. Language is constantly changing. Nature is constantly changing. Culture. Our, mm-hmm. our American identity and how we affiliate ourselves with culture has had a rapid shift in the past hundred or so years. Because before then, and horribly so. Yeah, horribly for, so. for the worse, admittedly. But before then, like in America, everybody was welcome, and even Ronald Reagan has a quote. Wait, 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 won- wait! But before when everyone was so welcome. So a hundred years ago, you could. This is hard because certain races have never been accepted, and certain races are, are yeah, currently that, face that, prejudice. Yeah. But my my point being, you can immigrate to America throughout American history and have kind of your own racial identity and be respected for that. Like there were. In America, or in Michigan, there were towns whose primary language was German, and nobody had any problem with that. Uh, yeah. Uh, America is, as a country, this haven for for race. I mean, maybe I'm distorting our own history as I'm 
panning people for distorting American history. But it seems now people have drawn this soft line in the sand saying, oh, we're not the great melting pot anymore. Like that, I think well, that's been going on that for a while. That faux line has been drawn in the sand at some point, and it's created the shift in the way we treat immigrants, I think. Well, yeah, and all right. I would say that the whole thing about us being a melting pot, it's more of a projection that we have. Yeah, and maybe it's um, a rewriting of history. I mean, of, of course, if you, if you look at history, we have been any, anything but a accepting country, except for like maybe the last 50 years. We've had a lot of social right. progression. It's, it's strange that we're actually... Um, but no, we no. did all come from other places. We're yeah. not like other countries as to where, you know, we were all here. Yeah, but I, I feel like it would be in our best interest to kind of reappropriate that idea of a melting pot and kind of make it a legitimate form of, you know, Americanism. Because now it's more of kind of a projection. It's like, oh, it's what our founding fathers wanted. George Washington owned slaves. Okay. Yeah. Like, like, I mean, if we want to be real and, you know, if you want to love the founding fathers and appreciate what they did, whatever. <laughs> I appreciate things from right. Like, I like a couple of Woody Allen movies. I get it. You can, you can <laughs> like stuff from bad people. You can like the Constitution if you want to like it. But it's not a cemented thing. Okay. We need to stop living in this, like. This idea that the way America is now or the way America has been in the 20th century is the only way it can ever be. And that, that's why Trump's presidency sucks so much, because he's trying as hard as he can to cement this period of American history to be as eternal as possible or try to impose this current influence we have for as long as possible. Yeah, like this is the great America. It started when Trump got elected and it's going to continue for the four year or for six more years. And that right there is is the great America. And as soon as a Democrat gets elected, oh, America's not great anymore, is how the Trump narrative is going to go. Yeah. yeah. It wouldn't have been much better under under Hillary, but um, I, I, I really I don't hope... think we would be gassing children on the border, though, if Hillary got elected. I, I, I Let's talk I really about hope... that a little yes. bit. Yeah, I have yeah, a few yeah, more yeah. quotes I'd like to read. Um, so this is from Border Patrol Foundation President Ron Colburn talking about tear gassing. It's natural. You could actually put it, or talking about pepper spray, it's natural. You could actually put it on your nachos and eat it. So it's a good way of deterring people without long-term harm. He said that on Fox and Friends. Um, And then he was talking about the people who were waiting at the border. They have a core of violence to it that basically communicates a sense of entitlement. These are people that one would like to thank, that one would like to think were true refugees, but they are not showing it off in their actions. I don't know what any of that means. It it's, all it, sounds a little nonsensical to it's me. It's just nonsensical projection. It's we need to say something. We need to deter people. What deters them? Violence. You yeah. know, violent well, immigrants coming to, you know, exploit America's teat. That's, that's all it is. <laughs> teat. I saw, I believe it was him. I want to say it was him on CNN speaking about the tear gassing. And he, no one, no one asked him this question. He made a point to say that. Um, there were only eight women who were arrested and only a couple <laughs> children were involved. Oh the rest God. were all adult men. As if that makes it like, okay, yeah, like a, men a, are okay to tear gas and arrest that. for no reason. Yeah. Like that's fine. But, and it's okay that they did it to a few women and children. Less I than just, 10. I mean, right. it's not even right. a baker's Trump dozen. disagrees with that. Uh, I believe it was a CNN reporter. Is it okay to use tear gas on children? President Trump responds, we didn't, we did not use it on children. And then there was a video of a, of U.S. Border Patrol using it on children. You can see there's yeah, photos, so there's videos. That's a bold face. When lie. do we start calling Trump a liar? News media. 
Well, we, we've been doing that, but that's the thing. It doesn't matter. It's not because, news anymore. <laughs> well, it's not news. And like really quickly, I just want to say, you know, growing up, uh, anytime I would act up, my mom would waterboard me. And it, nine times out of 10, it straightened me right out. So, wow. I, you know. Yeah. You, my mm-hmm. mom used to hit me with a belt all the time and I'm, I turned out great. Yeah. I mean, torture works. <laughs> Although Sean um, Hannity said he would get waterboarded. He has not done it yet. I, I, I pray for the day that Sean Hannity uh, waterboards himself. Um, but, <laughs> he waterboards himself. Yeah, Have you to, seen his house? He waterboards himself to own the libs. I can see him in his, his living room with his wife. It's like the Papa John's oh, guy's house. massive. Anyway, back on topic. But, um, yeah, back on topic. What did you guys that, think when you saw some of those photos with the children? In I, was, I was heartbroken. Oh, yeah. I was not shocked, but I was... Not shocked, no. I asked myself, like, is this who we are as a country? Because it looks like we are now. I, I mean, honestly, that, that, that's who we've been though. we're the bad guys yeah. it's just yeah. more kind of broadcast and like that's what i wanted to bring up the whole trump's a liar thing with the whole narrative of the media it's like you know, they've been calling him a liar like, but forever. they're not doing it in the right way it, so like, when your what, headline what, 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 is trump all right you're 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 a journalist right yeah okay i'm not a journalist so try to explain to me what's the correct way to cover Trump? And I'm going to give you my reason for why I don't think it's effective coming from establishment media. You should probably ask her because my perspective on this is going to be a little different than most journalists. Most journalists would say you should present both. I think a lot of journalists would say you should present both sides. So you should present Trump's side. I disagree with that premise when the other side is categorically wrong. So instead of a headline, Trump claims blank, evidence suggests otherwise, it should be Trump lies, says blank. Like, that. that is the structure it should be. But we, 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 we already do that, though. Not always. Some people do that. Some people do that, but that's not the uniform, and that's not the default. And there's a saying that goes, as journalists, if it's, if it's raining out and, some, and two, one person says it's raining and one person says it doesn't, your job isn't to, say, isn't to report what both of those people say. It's to stick your head out the window and see if it's raining or not. All right, so I, I guess I'll, I'll rephrase it. How do you get the average person, the average American, to like journalism? <laughs> oh okay. man, I, I don't because, think about that. Because, you because well, and I, I think that that's kind of the problem that you face right now because that that's the whole problem. Is like you know the media can call Trump a liar, but the media is forsaken. The media mm-hmm. the media isn't taken seriously. So I mean, it doesn't matter what Trump does because Trump holds more social capital than media right exactly. now. Exactly. There's well, a go ahead. You thank go, you. Okay. What I was going to say is that I don't really think there is a correct way to cover Trump because I kind of just feel like anything a reporter says will be hated by someone, obviously. And it's always been like that. But in journalism right now, if you write for CNN, you're lying. If you write for Fox, you're lying. If you report for any major news organization, you're lying in someone's eyes. So I feel like when you cover Trump, and a lot of reporters do this. He can say something, and then you can go to three other sources who give you reasons why what he said is wrong, and someone will still find a way to argue with you because, like you said, he has more power than we can ever hope to have over people. But so, I'm saying like, you shouldn't cover that other argument. Like, if you have okay. three people and you know for a fact that Trump is lying, do not have a talking head on that will advocate for President Trump no matter what he does. Cut that person out because there was there's a, a channel that just got a climate change denier on to present the other side. Do not have that other side on because that other side's point is not relevant. 
I just see when you say another sides isn't relevant, that goes into the biasness of journalism that everyone is so afraid of. And that and that's that's kind of like exactly where I wanted the conversation to go, because to play devil's ad- advocate, would you acknowledge that maybe Trump does hint at some truth in that the journalistic media does have some fundamental problems and maybe there is a kind of cohesive like ideological body that makes it up that does definitely that does tend to not stray from itself i think and that's and that that's not me asking for you know more conservative or republican journalists yeah. that's asking for me to have more journalists that don't exist within like a Republican or Democrat bubble because when you do see those kind of journalists that work for like smaller publications or maybe mm-hmm. there's independent kind of like guerrilla journalists, mm-hmm. they're never given the validation that MSNBC, CNN gets. And it's, yeah. I mean, that that's because of money. No, 100%. Like those, those are giant, massive corporations. I have an and ideological response for you. Okay. So I was talking to a CMU professor and she asked me, is the liberal or is the media liberal? And my answer was yes, but not in the way that we think of liberal. They're liberal in the liberal idea ideals. Like liberal as an ideology is so important to journalism that they have to be entwined. So freedom of speech, freedom of rep- of expression, those things are what journalism is based on and other ideologies do not have that like liberalism does. So conservatism as an ideology is inherently incompatible with journalism as a medium. Um, I somewhat agree. Does that make sense? I somewhat agree. Um, I have a couple caveats, though, with, there with, always the, with, are. with, with wording, <laughs> yeah. but it, it, it's more just semantics. To me, those ideas of, like, you know, classical uh, liberalism, you know, free speech, uh, market economies, blah, 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 all that crap. John Locke, all that shit. <laughs> oh, um, so can we start debating Locke on this podcast? I hate John Locke. Dave Clark should come in here and knock me in the head. Um, yeah, we can, you know, hint to these things and we can say that like, oh, well, you know, all good journalism is this. But I mean, journalism to me, it, it's not necessarily indicative of free speech. It's indicative of of information. It's, it's, it's indicative of a quest to present information to as many people as possible. And conservatives are more than able of doing that. So I think that from a propagandic standpoint, conservative um, conservatives and, you know, any kind of radical political faction is kind of journalistic in principle, but not in the way that you're probably referring to with like, you know, liberalism, but I guess. Conservative conservatism is the an ideology of maintenance, maintaining the status quo or returning the status quo. Now it appears to some glorious time that never existed. Liberalism is the opposite of that, it's breaking things and and showing that things are failable, and that's what journalism thrives on. What excites Don't you journalism? Think it's also maintenance. Though, I think I, I think I, I think I think we just fundamentally disagree on and that's fair on li- on liberalism as a definition on just a thing. Yeah, on, on, like, <laughs> yeah. on like on like what it is, I guess. Um, but and it's also confusing that there are vastly di- when you say liberalism, nobody has exactly, the same perception. Exactly, because I'm I'm more thinking of like you know. Uh, Neoliberalism. Yeah. But, uh, so when you ask a journalist what's the most exciting is when they have new information that changes things. That's what journalists definitely. are most excited about. And that is the information that picks up traction. And that is the information that people are excited to read. And that is not the information that aims to maintain the status quo. I think that if there could be any benefit taken from the Trump years, 
it's that maybe we end the corporate monopoly on media. And Definitely. Hope, and that would be wonderful because, I mean, we talk about a monopoly on, you know, products like with Amazon. We talk about a monopoly on grocery stores with, with Walmart. We talk about a monopoly on, you know, uh, you know, yada, yada, yada. CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, they're a monopoly of the media industry. And, of course, there are thousands and thousands of other papers out there, but especially in American media, that is a huge monopoly. And I think that it would be in our best interest to destabilize that I or at least move away from I definitely agree. It. Just as a journalist and as someone who has to go into the real journalism world in like a year, I think it's a little daunting to know that if I really want to be like truly successful and very widely read, I will have to work for like CNN or something like that really not even like cnn fun places to work but for. no and i don't want to necessarily have to pick you can say all you want that journalists aren't on a side but i don't want to pick a side and if i work for a big corporation i'm picking their side mm-hmm. you know yeah for sure there's which also, is frustrating there's a huge myth in that journalism and the media are extremely effective at changing public opinion we're not like we get the conversation going though yes but in in impacting public opinion, the media is not effective at that. What the media is really effective at is telling people in power what the population cares about. This is called mm-hmm. the third person effect, and it's been studied to hell. But you can, the impact of the media is not on random guy's perspective. It's on that guy's representative who thinks his who thinks his constituents care about an issue. So when you try and impact public policy. You don't do it by changing a single person's mind. You do it by changing an elected official's mind and telling him that his constituents care about something, even if they don't. Well, for me, the whole media, the, the, the whole media talk, I guess, I kind of run into a little bit of a, a wall with it because I feel like in some aspects, like, of course, we need, we need, we need it. But in some aspects, sometimes like that we we suffer from having that media monopoly because when they're kind of when they monopolize information getting out sometimes information that's already been within like the public discourse gets picked up late like have you guys ever noticed like you're watching CNN or like you know NBC and the the host or whatever mentions a meme that's like and like i prom- i promise Every i promise time i, prom- I watch Rachel Maddow, that- which is extremely infrequently Okay, and like, like, like you know that like they would bring up a meme that's maybe like a couple months behind or something. Okay, yeah, Sean Hannity does this. Sure. Now think about that idea, but think about that with a story like white nationalism rising on the internet. Now, people on Twitter, people in the public sphere, which Twitter and Facebook are virtually the public sphere now. Um, We've been documenting and talking about the slow, like, progressional rise of things like white nationalism on the Internet specifically, but it's not until you hear it from, I guess, MSNBC or the Washington Post that you're supposed to really incentivized to be take to take it seriously. And that, I think, is a huge problem with how the media is this huge monopoly. And I think it's beneficial for Trump to, at some respect, remove public trust in those things purely of 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 their own volition you know what i mean or of 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 their own merit i don't think he's capable to do that though well no 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 he isn't and i think it's more like an inadvertent hopeful thing i would yeah. want but i mean unfortunately what's going to happen is he's just going to deter any information that is 
left left winging in nature, which I mean, definitely. I mean, he just yeah. He ruins it for everyone, in my opinion. <laughs> he makes journalists scared to do their job. He makes everyone else hate journalists. <laughs> yeah, my uh, brother went to a Trump rally. He was interviewing people, and he said he was doing it for an assignment, but I was actually having him like write an article for me mm-hmm. just to see if he could do it. And the <laughs> people he were interviewing basically said, oh, if you were a journalist, I'd have to smack you in the face and yeah. stuff like that, like actually threatening a 17-year-old kid. Oh my so, God. yeah, it's it's scary out there. And I've been getting some of the things that people say to me, calling me the enemy of the state, are comical at best and worrisome yeah. at worst. Just that, the Facebook comments on our oh, yeah. small papers columns are ridiculous. I like, actually love reading them. I, I know it's you an, do. I don't. It gives me anxiety. Yeah, I have to make sure I don't reply. <laughs> I think that that's why I would agree with what um, Emily said, that it is kind of a part maintenance because... I feel like a big failure of journalists right now is not being able to maintain and kind of adapt to how to handle the new kind of political landscape. It feels like they're still stuck five years behind. You know what I mean? Yeah, you can't cover Trump like you covered Obama. You should write a column about that, Brent. No, because it won't get, get accepted. Too, dude. I just want you to write a damn column. Don't read the comments. That's no, you should read the comments. No, no, no. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I, I don't care about the, the comments. I just care that I don't feel like my point of view would be accepted in the Oh, paper. neither is mine. That's okay. I wrote a pretty moderate column about Gretchen Whitmer and people were calling me a democratic socialist. And I was like, how could you have possibly gotten yeah, I, 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 I would be called saying a, Whitmer's a jerk. All I, I, I can't imagine what heard. I would be called. Who cares? All opinions should cares? not be heard. Speaking of calling I people names, well, this is what are. Ted Cruz's beard attempt looks like. What beard? That, yep. Oh, that shadow? Yeah. <laughs> He looks like he just got oh, divorced. He, so he does happy, look like he just. Got, he's so proud of it. He uh, we need so to link cute. this. He looks like he got divorced, and his he looks refrigerator like a sick is em- teddy bear. very empty. Like I, he has ketchup in his refrigerator, and that's it. I want to pull up the response to this. Um, so Brandy Jensen, who, if you're a liberal at all, you should absolutely follow Brandy Jensen on Twitter at okay. Brandy L Jensen. Um, she quoted it. He most certainly did not. And then followed up with Imagine Soup dribbling down that knobby hairless chin, which is one of the grossest things I've read today. Um, I just love that picture of Ted Cruz happy. That's with funny. His he five looks o'clock so shadow. cute. I, I, I really love that video of him like in the grocery store and he's like pretending to say hi to people that aren't saying hi to him. <laughs> I don't think <laughs> that's really that. nice too. I need to see that. I think um, he just uh, he tries. He he really cheers me up like in these times. I need yeah. I need political figures I don't think that he's I can real. Just, that I can just like kind of like giggle I'll at. I believe him when I see him in like, person. Uh, oh man, who was who was that one Republican that ran in like 2012? Um, Herman Cain. Dude, Herman Cain. Herman Cain was a riot. Definitely not real. Oh my god, I I used to just laugh at that man so much. He was <laughs> hilarious. Herman Cain right now. Herman Cain was a very silly man as well. But uh, ugh. Unfortunately, like I need to laugh at Republicans right now. That's why I loved the debates. I could just live in this like mm-hmm. blissful. The Republican debates were so great in they, 2016. They, they were they were comedy gold. They were the f- hardest I had laughed at television, like since The Office went off the air. I think oh every God. time it cut to sleep, <laughs> Black Doctor Ben Carson, I knew I was in for something that I'd never heard before. Oh my! It was God. great. Jeb. Jeb Bush. Saying asking people to clap for him was one of the highlights of 2016 for me. That's when I knew Trump was going to win. That's when I knew Jeb was like, not this is what he's going up against. That's, I was like, it's over. Uh, it dude, is Jeb completely over. People started calling guy. me Jeb now, and I don't know how I feel Jeb. about it. There's a collection of like five or so people who call me Jeb, and I'm not certain. 
Although the Jeb Bush memes were pretty great. Eat your heart out, Zuckerberg. Some, yeah, there's <laughs> there's him with avocado looking at uh, over the election map, and it's just all Jeb. Great. 2016 was the year of the meme. Trump won because of the memes. Unfortunately, I don't think and it's very. All right. uh, there's <laughs> a, no, 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 no. I, I, I would actually say there is a little bit of truth to yeah. that. There's yeah. a little bit of truth in how. Um, Fortune Reddit elected Donald Trump. Uh, I wouldn't go. I wouldn't go that far, but they definitely had a large role in him gaining memetic traction for sure. Absolutely. And that that can carry you. I mean, look at Bernie. Bernie had memetic traction a lot of meme too. Traction. And people liked him a lot more than Hillary, if who it, had no meme traction if apart it from how for the bad memes, she was. Bernie Sanders would not have done as well as he did. I, I disagree, but... There's a documentary in heavy quotation marks I'm using that, that mm-hmm. called 2016, the year the memes won, or the, the year the internet won, and it's a highlight of all the impacts from the crappy 4chan Pepe LaFrog memes oh, yeah. and stuff like that. Highly recommended. Very interesting. Uh, do we want to talk about this lone 2020 candidate because they're going to start coming out of the woodworks? Yeah, let's talk about Ojeda real briefly, and then let's kind of talk about Pelosi as well. Because, yeah, I'd love to touch on Pelosi real yeah, quick. Yeah, I think that we need to get rid of Pelosi. We need to abandon her, abandon anyone like her. I have like a different her. opinion, but we'll get to that. Jeremy. So uh, Richard o- Ojeda yeah. is um, a veteran, and he was in uh, North Carolina State Legislature. Yeah. Um, and then he lost his Senate seat for U.S. House. Now he's running in 2016. But he gained the most seats of any Democrat in the entire midterm election in terms okay. of com- of uh, Trump Trump country, I guess. Mm-hmm. He gained the most seats because, you know, uh, the Republican oh, that he mean? that oh, oh, Jedi, he, he ran against. Uh, I can't remember who he ran against, but it was a very uh, Trump backed candidate in a very pro Trump state. Mm-hmm. Uh and he gained the most seats back. He made that he gained as many blue seats more than anybody else. But um, I think that he would be a really, really strong candidate. I have in a few quotes uh, from him. So he shared these are all from Wikipedia, just because that's where I got quotes from him. I don't think I've ever voted for a Democrat for president. He supported Donald Trump in 2016 because he initially believed, according to Politico, that Trump would do something for West Virginians. He's from West Virginia, by the way. Um, by 2018, he expressed regret for voting for Trump, saying that he hasn't done shit, and he is taking care of the doggone people he's supposed to be getting rid of. Ojeda supported Bernie Sanders in the Democratic primary. So there's also been talk from the Democratic establishment that the 2020 candidate would need to be progressive, but he would need to also draw people from the middle and from Trump Republicans. And this is the kind of candidate who can do that. I don't know if his progressive track record is strong enough to get. He, Democrats he really isn't a very progressive yeah. candidate. If he had more of the politics of like a Cortez, maybe. Mm-hmm. But uh, no. And I, I do you think Cortez would stand any chance no, if she ran God, in twenty twenty? No, do not That's run. That's a little fresh. She should exactly. absolutely. I've heard some people already How throw old her name in. Do you have to be thirty five? She's not old she's enough. Not oh yeah, she's then 29. those people are just yeah. idiots for suggesting Bernie Sanders should not run. I think anyone over the age of 70 or even 60 yeah, should just run. stay at home yeah. and we can give younger people a chance again. I follow too many SJWs on Facebook mm-hmm. and they constantly post videos saying why Bernie Sanders should run or why Beto should run or why Cortez should run and all of them. Neither like, of them should run. I would love some younger them. people. Um, Not even young, just like 40s or 50s. Sherrod Brown. Look, Bernie, Bernie got screwed. Bernie yeah. needs to just 
do good work outside of presidency. He's not going to be the president. I don't think he has he himself he actually said president. that he wants to. Right. I no. think he needs to find someone that he bats and would kind of help like groom a little yeah, bit. Yeah, we haven't had like a sense. Bernie protege. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And I think he kind of needs to take someone who's in politics right now, take them under his wing, help him, give them his stamp of approval, because yeah. that does a lot, I think. Absolutely. I, I, think, I think that as Ojeda campaigns more, he's going to realize he needs to become more progressive. Yeah. And I think that there's a good chance Every that he Democrat's could, realize that he could push himself further left and maybe be a good contender, but I'm still thinking Trump's going to be a two-termer. I'm afraid they'll do that too late. Any they Democrat, always do that too late. Yeah, that's always their problem. Exactly. That's what the they're party. doing. And it looks Hillary fake. Clinton was no too one exactly. buys it. That's exactly what she tried to do. If she Didn't gets work. near a stage again, so help me Push God. Her do up. not run Hillary Clinton. <laughs> any any person out there who seriously thinks Hillary Clinton should be anywhere near 2020, oh my God, please. Hey, she's doing good. I don't think she's going to come back. She grew out her hair. She's taking a one, break. So one of her Just, co-workers said, oh, she's running in 2020 and she's going to mm, win. I don't I, buy that. I, ha- I, I think it. she's had enough humiliation so for her life. Same with Warren. I really don't want her to run. I don't um, think she would. I, I feel like that whole tangent, because I feel like Warren, Biden, they, they, they just reek of Obama Democrat era. Mm. We need new blood. We, we need, need new faces. We need our Democrats. We need our, I won't say our Democrats, but I mean, yeah, sure, our, <laughs> our Democrats. Like the new but progressive we, one, not you know? Not Gretchen Whitmer. Gretchen Whitmer <laughs> sucks. Gretchen Whitmer. She sucks. Gretchen Whitmer 2024. You know that was pure Dude, sarcasm. Every part, of the, every part of the cabinet's from Blue Cross, Blue Shield. If, if All you, 15 or so. If you ever want free health care in America, do not vote for Gretchen Whitmer. Yeah. All right. Anyway. <laughs> That's your stump speech. Okay, I have some good news. Oh, wait, we should talk about um, Pelosi. Pelosi real quick before we wrap. Uh, we kind of already touched on it. This, uh, they, they, they need to throw her to the side. She's done. She's too good of a, she's too good of a vote getter. She's extremely effective at her job. She's one of, of the most effective <laughs> speakers of the house that could possibly exist. Effective she is at, so at, good at getting votes. Yeah. Getting votes for a bad party. Yes, getting hoarded. It does matter if, if you're getting you want votes to get for legislation a party. Passed. If you're getting votes for a party that sucks, it doesn't matter if the votes are going because the party sucks. Sure, she can get a lot of votes, but if she's getting a lot of votes for a party that she is orchestrating and changing and making worse, but the, it sucks. The Democrats cannot do the same thing that the Republicans have been doing when in the middle of Trump's um, first two or first year. Because the Republicans had the votes for stuff, but they couldn't agree on what to do. And if the Democrats want to not be that party, if they want to actually assemble votes and and have a unified voice, Nancy Pelosi is the most effective at doing that. Because if you get someone who's too aggressive, like some people wanted Cortez to be Speaker of the House for some reason. People wanted these uber-liberal new people to be Speakers of the House, and it doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. You need a veteran like Pelosi to get votes. And Pelosi, but that's, Pelosi's but that's really a, good that's at working the, with Republicans as well. That's a problem. But that's a problem that it needs to be a veteran. It's not a problem. It, yes, it is. That, that's a that, fundamental Democratic that problem. That is a too, fundamental that Democratic problem. By, like, that, is, that, is, that is vanguardism. That is that idea that there needs to be a guiding force to guide the, the quote-unquote Democratic but processes. There does. There doesn't. There, Jeremy, how can you sit there and say that when we just talked about the president and how we need someone new and fresh and someone not old? Like, okay, and okay, now okay, you're okay. saying we need a okay. veteran. There's by, a difference by, between having presidential leadership and a too, veteran to get votes for you. It's too, it's too bureaucratic. 
it's overly bureaucratic. What we need to do is reduce that and go to a more directly democratic way to organize our political parties by, by maintaining that we need to con- constantly like maintain the gatekeeping system that we've had for the last 30, 40 somewhat years and then expecting new things to happen by like not changing the old systems. I, I, Nothing new is going to change. I agree with the gatekeeping system, and the Republicans nothing, slacked off on their gatekeeping system, and that's really why Trump got elected. By, by having that gatekeeping mentality, it's just going to maintain corporate democratic nonsense. And like, most people are sick of the gatekeeping men- mentality. That's I think why that's Trump got necess- elected. I think it, necess- it, it is a necessity for there to be some sort of party, and people are, are going to extrapolate this into um, primary votes, which I, I disagree with. But I think there needs to be some sort of and we're kind of pulling this Pelosi argument into other va- facets of the political system. But I think Pelosi is a person who can more if you you could not like show me a tell me someone who's better than Pelosi. That, 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 that's the point is that I can't tell you a single person because I'm not going to say that another person should adopt her role. Because I don't think that one single person should be in charge of that gatekeeping role. It should be more of a unified collective a way of doing these decisions, and I feel like people but like Cortez, are, as flawed as they are, those are they are mutually exclusive. In, now, wait, wait, wait. What is what is mutually? You can't exclusive? have a unified force and not have a leader for that force. Sure, you. Expe- no, no, not no. in this Democratic Party. When exactly not in this Democratic Party, but in but, but, but what in other Democratic Party are we going to get? A new one that we can develop. <laughs> but that doesn't exist not right yet. now. Not no. Because what you want to maintain what, Pelosi's. What is the goal of the Democratic Party right now? The role, the role what of what is it? it is I right don't even now, know. It's to, per, it's I feel to like slow it's Trump unclear. down. The, for and for the next the two problem. years, the goal that's of the, the Democrat- problem is that the whole, like, oh, we just need to progressively slow Trump, slow Trump. He's going to be here at most six more years. And then what? And then what are the Democrats going to do? I do agree. I don't think the goal in politics should ever be trying to slow down the other side. They tend to forget why they're there and who they're working for. That's not what it should be, but it's what it is. Right, but... But, but, all right, by by identifying that that's what it is and saying that, okay, this is the way it is. It would be great if it could change, but let's not change it. I don't understand. And that, that, that to me, is the mindset of 90% of Democrats, and that's why they lose, and that's why they suck, because... They will never understand the idea of moving outside of what the party is because the way that American politics now is not cemented. We are trapped in this like uh, this 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 weird realism where where we cannot escape a a life that doesn't have Democrats and Republicans calling the shots. We can develop new political parties, new political systems. I mean, if you look at. The rest of the world, like, I mean, especially Europe, especially the the Middle East. These are not countries that have maybe one or two political parties per country. They have dozens and dozens and dozens of organized political parties. We need something along those lines. I think that's kind of how Trump got elected. I don't think that's like hard to figure out. Like his supporters wanted something different. He's not a traditional Republican. He's not a traditional Democrat. He's not a traditional Person, really, he just does Obama whatever he wants. But, but exactly, still, that was two thousand eight, and he didn't do it. And he that didn't was ago. ten years ago. And he didn't do. He didn't change anything. Like, I, he didn't change I'd the structure of the political okay, okay, system. Okay. Now wait. He gave right. people hope, though. He all right. Trump, Obama, Trump's giving Obama, doing the same Obama thing. Was, was exactly. a, Obama was a charismatic cult of personality. Trump is a charismatic cult of personality. But Trump also has 
a hard ideological facade that Obama didn't have and Obama will never have because Obama wasn't an ideas president. He was a feelings president. He was a idealist president. Yeah. He wanted you to just adopt this kind of cult of personality and just blend into this like blase hipsterism of eight years that Obama that, was very hipster. He that, was. And then after after he's out, then you learn, oh, he had a lot of deportations. Yeah, now it's oh, hipster to actually, not like Obama. No, I wouldn't say it's hipster. Now it's just like you shouldn't have liked Obama to yeah. begin with. But and like if 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 we can't keep worrying about Obama, like, oh, that's how Obama got elected. Screw Obama. We need to move on. And I don't like the gatekeeping. And that's why I'm not a Democrat. That's why I don't like the Democrats, because they're just stuck. They're stuck in bad ideas. And even when they get good ideas, they, they don't chase them. They don't go in that direction. Even their good ideas aren't very good. Their good ideas are like, eh. It's in the right direction, yeah, but it's just a lot of. I think in the right direction is what you got to take. I think that's that's how that's some, how sometimes is made. sure, but uh, there's only so many times you can go in the right direction before you eventually just get where you need to be. I mean, eventually, even if you're lost on a map, you'll eventually find your way home. We're okay. just stuck. We're stuck. Exactly. It's a good way stuck. to describe it. I want right. to end with some good news. Okay. Okay. Uh, so notorious. RBG, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, has returned to the bench after a cracked rib. She's doing great, folks. Don't worry. Um, yeah. I don't I don't want to say yeah. more about that. Um, I, knock on wood, RBG's hanging in there. Oh, Todd. Uh, Australian teenager Finn Standard came out as gay during an assembly of over 1,500 at his Catholic school. He wow. said, quote, Life was easier living as a straight eldest son. I had spent too long behind the facade of a confident heterosexual man that I wasn't sure I knew how to be me. And that's a really heartwarming story of a dude just saying whatever and coming out in front of his entire school. Um, and it's especially relevant because Australia just recently passed gay marriage laws. So super brave that kid. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening. This has been In It Together.